1: This is the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. Useless Information. Today's story begins with a letter to the editor that appeared in the December 8th, 1953 publication of the Akron Beacon Journal, which of course is in Akron, Ohio. It reads quote, I want to write this letter of appreciation to the gentleman who was in Polsky's basement last Monday, November 30th. Little side note, Polsky's is a defunct department store in Akron. He gave me $20 to buy Christmas presents for the four children I had with me. I am the mother of eight children, and every penny or dollar means something to me. There are no words to describe my feelings. I do not know the gentleman, but wherever he is, I am sure he does not know what a lift he gave me. I was able to pay cash for part of the clothing I was planning to put in layaway. Surely the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christmas were present when that gentleman dropped that money in my hand and said, Buy them something nice for Christmas. I never was able to thank this gentleman because he disappeared in the crowd while my children and I watched him. Thank you, mister, wherever you are. And the letter is signed, Grateful Mother. On Monday, December 14th, a response to this letter was published in the paper. In part, it reads, quote, I know. I am also a mother of eight children who last year received a very unexpected gift of $20. I bought flannel and made pajamas for each of my children and doll pajamas for their dolls. 26 yards of material slightly damaged cost me only 39 cents a yard. I sewed every night until the wee hours so I could finish them by Christmas. There was also money left over for a toy for each child. Words could never express my deep appreciation for that gift, so you see why I, too, am happy for grateful mother in her good fortune. And this letter was signed, Happy Mom. Now $20 may not seem like a lot, but adjusted for inflation, that would be like being handed two $100 bills a day. That's a lot of cash. Well, the very next day, a woman walked into the offices of the Beacon Journal and requested that letters that she had penned be forwarded on to Grateful Mother and Happy Mom. Each included a gift of $10, but she requested that her identity be kept confidential. Then, on Wednesday, December 16th, an unidentified man walked into the lobby of the Akron Beacon Journal building and slipped an envelope into the hand of Maintenance Superintendent John Horrigan. The mystery man then turned and hurried out the door of the building without Horrigan ever getting a good look at him. The envelope was addressed to the editor of the newspaper, so Horrigan made sure that it was delivered to him. Inside the envelope was a note that said, quote, I had no way of knowing the lady had eight children. My! They may have a few earthly dollars, but she is the one that's blessed and with eight little ones to find time to acknowledge the little gift. You are deserving. If the Beacon Journal will see that you get this, please make sure it is a nice Christmas for all the children. I will be amply repaid just visualizing the gleam in their eyes. The letter was signed, Santa Claus, and was accompanied by five dollars bills, 100 smackaroos. Just below this message was another, quote, The above is answering Grateful Mother of your editorial page of December 8th. Please give her $80. And if you know who Happy Mom is, your editorial page of December 14th, please give her $20. If you can't locate, give it please to some little ones in need. A Merry Christmas to you. An article detailing this incredibly generous gift was published two days later. Images of the two checks drawn on the Beacon Journal's bank account accompanied the story. The $80 check was issued to a Mrs. Helen something or other, and that's because her last name was blacked out. And the $20 check went to a Mrs. Carl with a longer black box obliterating her last name. While no further mention would be made of Mrs. Carl, a reporter was sent to the 108 Charles Street home of a woman simply identified in the story as Mrs. A. That's it, Mrs. A. So couple that with the image of the check and we now know that the mother of eight children was Mrs. Helen A. It was learned that Mr. A had been out of work for nearly three months and that Mrs. Helen A was struggling to make ends meet on her $37 per week salary as a dishwasher in a restaurant. That's about $360 today. Needless to say, Mrs. Helen A was shocked by this new gift. You don't mean the same man, do you? She showed the reporter the three dresses and two pair of pants that she had purchased with that original $20. Now the kids can have toys too, she continued. The oldest girl had her heart set on a pair of shoe skates. Now she can have them. Mrs. Helena said she never got a good look at her Santa Claus. Roughly, he appeared to be about 50 years of age, short, thin, and having had brown hair streaked with gray. Kind of sounds like me. He'd approached Mrs. A and complimented her on both the appearance and the good manners of her four children. It was at that moment that he slipped the money into her hand. She stated, quote, I was astonished when I saw his $20 bill. I could see him walking away, so I tried to catch him, but the crowd just seemed to swallow him up. One year later, on December 23rd of 1954 the Beacon Journal would publicly reveal that Mrs. Helen A. was Helen Elizabeth Crandall Arnold. The A stood for Arnold. She had been born on August 2, 1924 in Burlington, New Jersey, and her family moved to Akron when she was four years old. She had lived there ever since. By this time, things had worsened for the Arnold family. Her husband Roy had only been able to secure a few days' work as a laborer, while she had lost her job as a dishwasher. The couple was down to their last $16. In addition, the city health department ordered the Arnolds to move out of their Charles Street home. Quote, they said we have too many people living in the house. We were told to move, but we have no money for the rent. I just don't know. I just don't know. Luckily, Santa had not forgotten about the Arnolds. Once again, another letter made its way to the editorial offices of the Beacon Journal. Inside the envelope was $100 and the following note. Quote, Remember Grateful Mother and the Eight Children last Christmas? I just arrived in town. Could you get this to her so her children can have a nice visit from Santa Claus? If not, I'm sure you know some deserving children. Merry Christmas to you, Santa. Needless to say, Mrs. Arnold was shocked when a reporter handed her the money. Oh God, I've been praying something would happen, but I never expected it. It's wonderful, just wonderful. God bless him. As the reporter turned to leave, Mrs. Arnold questioned, Do you know the man who's doing this for us? To which the reporter replied, We wish we did, but I have a hunch we never will. Merry Christmas. Of course, Mrs. Arnold wished to thank this generous Santa personally, but clearly that was impossible. So she did the next best thing. She wrote a thank you letter that was published in the editorial section of the Beacon Journal. While several paragraphs long, her last sentence sums it up perfectly. Quote, to our Santa, your gift truly must have come from your heart and we receive it in gratefulness, Mrs. Helen Arnold. Things would be even worse for the Arnold family by the Christmas of 1955. Surprisingly, they were still living at 108 Charles Street. But Mrs. Arnold had given birth to another child and was now living there with her nine children, Mrs. Arnold's parents, two of her sisters, and, believe it or not, their children. Mr. Arnold was living with an uncle at the time, and that was supposedly to help alleviate the crowded situation at home. In addition, the 31-year-old Mrs. Arnold had been diagnosed with cancer the previous August and had undergone radium treatments. Luckily, her cancer had gone into remission. And sure enough, their secret Santa came through once again. On December 22, 1955, a special delivery letter arrived at the editorial offices of the Beacon Journal. The handwritten note read, Dear Beacon, I'm a little late. Would you mind playing Santa Claus again? "'Remember, grateful mother, and the eight children. "'Would you see that they get this? "'A Merry Christmas to you, Santa.'" Inside the envelope, once again, were five $20 bills. Upon hearing of this special gift, Mrs. Arnold stated, "'Things like this just don't happen three times in a row. "'Never in the world did I think that whoever he is "'would help us out again. "'Thank the Lord.'" By the Christmas of 1956, things seemed to be looking up for the Arnold family. They had moved to a four-bedroom apartment at 177 East North Street in the Elizabeth Park housing project. Husband Roy had secured a $70 a week job with the city sanitation department, while Helen was studying to become a beautician. Quote, We've made a 100% improvement since last Christmas, but we still aren't completely on our feet. Once again, a mysterious letter with money showed up at the offices of the Beacon Journal. Quote, Dear Beacon, remember Grateful Mother? Please see that she gets this. If not, any worthy cause will do. Pop and Mom should each use $20 for themselves. Had a good year. Merry Christmas. Santa. Well, it must have been a really good year for Santa because he far exceeded his previous $100 annual gifts. This year, he had enclosed $220. Adjusted for inflation, that's approximately $2,100 today. On January 2nd, the paper published Mrs. Arnold's thank you. It read in part, quote, Into our lives again has stepped our phantom Santa Claus. We call him Santa and we sincerely believe in him because for several years now he has sent us a sum of money and while we do not know who he is, we all feel that it is truly wonderful that God has designated such a wonderful miracle to take place in our lives. 1957's entry into the Arnold's Christmas Diary indicated that their fortunes had taken a turn for the worse. In May, Roy was laid off from his job with the sanitation department. And while Helen Arnold had completed her studies at the Akron School of Cosmetology and opened her own beauty shop, unfortunately the business was not doing well. And for the fifth straight Christmas in a row, Santa Claus made his journey from the North Pole straight to the editorial offices of the Akron Beacon Journal. His note read, quote, Dear Beacon, remember Grateful Mother? Honestly, if I didn't send it, I just would not enjoy my Christmas. Thank you again for playing Santa, and a Merry Christmas to you all. Santa. He matched his previous year's gift of $220 in cash. Mrs. Arnold wrote, quote, Only a mother understands the worry of wanting so much for her family and having so little to offer, especially at Christmas. To know that God is watching over us and has provided us with a guardian who has such a wonderful heart has filled my heart with gratitude. Santa's 1958 gift would be as large as to date, six dollars bills for a total of $300. Unfortunately, I can't tell you more about what happened that year because this front-page story was supposedly continued on page two, which of course is missing from the scan of the December 21st, 1958 issue of the Beacon Journal. But what I can tell you is that by Christmas of 1959, Mrs. Arnold was desperate. Her husband Roy, having been unable to find work, turned to a life of crime and was sentenced to one to seven years in the Ohio Penitentiary on three counts of grand larceny. With her earnings as a beautician not being enough to support their family, she was forced to seek public assistance. In a somewhat surprising move, a reporter at the Beacon Journal received a call from a man with a gravelly voice. This is Santa, the man at the other end of the line stated. Did you get it? The reporter immediately knew who he had on the line, and he attempted to get someone else at the newspaper to listen in on an extension. But as soon as the reporter replied, yes, we got it, Santa hung up. Yet everything else was standard routine by now. Santa's handwritten note read, quote, Remember, grateful mother? If you can get this to her, I'll appreciate it. If not, I'm sure you can find good use for it. I'd like her to have it. My blessings have been many. Merry Christmas to you, Santa. Inside the envelope were seven $50 bills. For his generosity, Helen Arnold wrote, quote, this is the seventh year in which he has brought me from despair to a joyous holiday season. I know for certain that only the man above has allowed him to enter and re-enter our lives as mysteriously as he has for this length of time. The miracle of Christmas time makes me rejoice by the Christmas of nineteen sixty. The Arnolds had moved out of the housing project to sixty seven East Charles Street. Where Helen planned to open a beauty shop in her new home's front room. Her husband Roy had been paroled after serving a sentence of one year. Quote, Times are hard, and with his record, it's doubly hard for Roy to find a job. He's a good worker, but folks won't give him a chance. She added, "I'm going into the beauty shop business to better my lot and to be near the children. I don't want to stay on relief." I want to be independent. And for the eighth consecutive year, the mystery Santa offered the Arnolds a bit of much-needed relief, matching his previous year's gift of $350. Mrs. Arnold writes, To you who choose to be our anonymous Santa, we all ask and pray for continued blessing upon a man with a lot of heart. God bless you. Perhaps, through your help, we may be able to get closer to being able to stand on our own two feet. But most important, our children know there is a Santa, and one we are proud to know. In 1961, the Arnolds divorced, although this fact would be absent in future stories about the family. Helen Arnold continued as a beautician, while her 21-year-old daughter Catherine worked as a laundry folder to help support the family. It was nearly impossible for Mrs. Arnold to obtain a better paying job because doing so would require costly childcare. Instead, she began to devote some of her time to helping others. She volunteered as a neighborhood captain for United Fund Drive and became president of the Bryan Elementary Parent Teacher Association. Quote I've given quite a bit of time doing things for other people because someone has always done something for me. How do you ever pay back the things people have done for you? This is the only way I know. Still forced to seek public assistance, Mrs. Arnold was grateful when Santa came through one more time. She wrote, quote, For the Christmas blessing this unidentified Santa gave not only raised the spirit of the Arnolds, but helped Akron to see the fulfillment of the Christmas miracle. From the beginning in our brief encounter many years ago to the present Santa's benevolent kindness has made things possible which might have been impossible for us to attain 1962 would mark the 10th anniversary of that moment when Mrs Arnold would have her first and only glimpse of her secret santa Her financial situation had not improved but Santa had not given up on her he came through one more time with a $300 gift. In thanks, Helen wrote, Although our Santa is short, he has the stature of the grandest St. Nicholas there is, she continued. Ten years have passed. I often wonder who our Santa may be. But then I don't, because no one really wants to brush aside the curtain. In August 1963, Helen Arnold boarded a bus to Washington, D.C. to participate in the historic march from the Washington Monument to the Lincoln Memorial to witness Martin Luther King deliver his I Have a Dream speech. Upon a return, she told the Akron Beacon Journal, quote, This will be something to tell my children and grandchildren. We're showing that Negroes will stand together. It would also serve as the moment when Helen Arnold turned from being a poor mother of nine known solely for the annual gift that she received from Santa each year into a voice for her community, the poor, minorities, and the children of Akron. There'd be no helping hand from the Arnold's Secret Santa in 1963. Now, not receiving the gift did not upset Helen. She was actually far more concerned about his well-being. You know, could he be ill? Could he have passed on? Could Santa have fallen on hard times? No one knew. Yet the Beacon Journal City editor at the time, W.D. Slimmer, was not silent on this lack of a gift. He wrote a lengthy story that was published on December 25, 1963, and it included this paragraph, quote, And you, Mrs. Arnold, have worked hard to help your family and your community. So many public causes, school interests, neighborhood forums, planning groups have been better off because you have taken an active part. Not only had Mrs. Arnold become a voice in her community, but her fortunes began to change. In August 1964, she was hired by a consulting firm that was doing preparatory work for urban renewal around Akron's B.F. Goodridge manufacturing plant. Now with a steady income, she was able to move a few doors down from her previous residence to 63 East Charles Street. In what must have come as a total surprise to Helen Arnold, you know, especially since there was no gift the previous year, an envelope from Santa arrived at the editorial desk of the Beacon Journal, inside with three $100 bills and a request to make sure that Mrs. Arnold received them. Santa claimed he had not sent a gift the previous year because he had been out of town and sending a letter would have revealed his identity. In a letter of thankfulness, Mrs. Arnold wrote, quote, "'To Santa, who has reserved a place in our hearts and our home, may I say you have brought us tidings of great joy, not because of the money, but because you have lighted the flame of kindliness in the rebirth of Akron's Christmas story.'" I know that you, Santa, must feel as I do that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh from the Father. I can only express my feelings with humility for we owe so much to you. May God bless you. In April 1965, Mrs. Arnold was hired by the city of Akron as a consultant. Her job was to operate an office to distribute information to residents in the area designated for urban renewal. The job was to last for six months and paid $2,400, which is approximately $19,700 today. In October, her contract was extended for an additional year. Life was starting to look up for Helen Arnold, but she commented, quote, We're not socially deprived anymore, but we have a long way to go. In what would seem to be a repeat of Christmas past, Santa once again delivered an envelope containing $300 and a note to the Beacon Journal. Yet it would be the last. The Beacon Journal calculated that the Arnold's Secret Santa had given the family a total of $3,040. To this day, his identity remains unknown life went on for Helen Arnold. As her children grew and she had more time for herself, she became increasingly active in the causes that she believed in most. Between 1970 and 72, she served as the president of the Akron chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, you know, the NAACP. In 1973, Helen was defeated in her attempt to run for the Akron City Council, But in 1976, she was named the vice president of the Ohio Black Political Assembly. She would find a true calling in 1977 when she was elected to be the first African-American woman on the Akron Board of Education, which at the time was dominated by board members who lived in predominantly white neighborhoods. She was 53 years of age and had campaigned as a fighter for blue-collar workers and the poor. Helen would eventually be appointed Akron Board of Education president and in 1996 was named by the Ohio School Boards Association as one of the top school board members in the state. When Helen Arnold died on February 16, 2001, at the age of 76, she had served on the Akron Board of Education for 24 years. Akron Assistant Superintendent Sylvester Small stated, quote, I think the whole community has suffered a tremendous loss. Helen Arnold was everyone's mother, grandmother, aunt. She was everyone's conscience that says you've got to serve these kids and you've got to serve your community. After her passing on August 29, 2007, the Helen E. Arnold Community Learning Center was opened in her honor. I'll leave you with one final quote from Helen Arnold. I have been poor, I have been on welfare, I've had to struggle, and yet always there was a way for me to get beyond each of these situations. So I am thankful, really thankful. Useless, useful, I that for you to decide. Well look who's dashing
0: through the suds with jingle bells too! Ha <laughs> ha! It's those happy does carolers and their merry washing machines. Greetings. Do Z, D U Z. Forget- Work clothes come out, oh, so clean. White things white and color things bright. D-U-Z does everything. From the roughest and the toughest to the whitest and the brightest. No so bright like does before. Does is different, does does more.
1: When you does your wash, you thing,
0: sing. D-U-Z, D-U-Z does everything. D-U-Z, D-U-Z. D-U-Z that was delightful, delightful kids, yes, sir. And folks, now listen, the truth is, Today's prices for used kitchen fats are higher, much higher than last summer. Everybody save every drop of used fat. It's worth your while. This is Ralph Edwards speaking on behalf of our sponsor, the makers of Doz, and wishing you a
1: very Merry Christmas. And until next week, when you hear more about The Walking Man, a brand new gigantic prize contest, good night, everybody. That commercial for Does Soap Powders from the December 20th, 1947 episode of Truth or Consequences, a game show that ran on the NBC radio network from 1940 through 1956 and was hosted by Ralph Edwards. My earliest memories of Truth or Consequences from the late 1960s, and that's when Bob Barker hosted the television version, and of course that's before he went on to fame as the host of The Price is Right. On the show, contestants had to answer a true question, which of course was nearly impossible to answer in the two-second time period they allotted them. So of course, the penalty for answering a question incorrectly was the consequence, which was as zany of a stunt that the writers could think up. Perhaps the most famous stunt they ever pulled was a contest to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the show. Ralph Edwards offered to give free publicity to the first town willing to change its name to Truth or Consequences. And a small number of towns entered the contest, but the winner was chosen to be Hot Springs, New Mexico. So on March thirty-first, 1950, Hot Springs officially became Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, and the show was broadcast from there the next day. As for does was never a top-shelf laundry soap. The earliest advertisement I could find for the product was from 1922. The DUS company expanded quickly throughout the 1920s, but they never turned a profit. So as a result, on June 8th of 1929, the company was sold to Procter & Gamble. They promoted DUS on radio programs just like you heard here, and that proved to be quite successful. But sales plummeted shortly after the introduction of Tide Detergent in 1946. Interestingly, Tide was also manufactured by Procter & Gamble. Instead of discontinuing does, Procter & Gamble took a different approach to promote the product. They packed free items into every box of does. This included towels, dishware, and glassware. For example, a large box of does may contain a bath towel, the next box down may have a hand towel, and the smallest size box would have a washcloth. And none of these prices had any great value, but it kept people buying the product so they could collect the entire set. If you go on eBay, there are quite a few sellers offering the glassware, and there's a few uh, dishes and towels to be found, but it's mostly the glassware. They typically sell in the $4 to $5 range, depending on how rare they are. Advertisements for does in newspapers were quite numerous until 1979, yet they were virtually non-existent in 1980 because the product, of course, was discontinued. So when I was a kid, my mom would always pull out the menorah for Hanukkah. But we didn't have an ordinary menorah, and that's because my mom was always too concerned about lighting candles and burning the house down. So instead, we had this ugly white plastic model with large orange Christmas tree bulbs that stuck out of the top. Well, it turns out that what we call a menorah is not really called a menorah. It's called something else. Do you know what it's called? Well, hang around for a bit, and I'll let you know the answer at the end of this podcast.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil. Did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Kat and Jethro, Box of Oddities, that is really mysterious. Join
1: Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities.
0: The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media.
1: In other news, here are three Christmas stories. Everyone loves getting gifts, particularly very large ones, but sometimes bigger isn't better. For example, consider the case of Norval H. Milliken, who lived at McAnulty Road in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. For Christmas of 1945, someone gave him 4 tons, or 3,628 kilograms, of fertilizer. A pink ribbon completed this very unusual gift. For a greeting card, Merry Christmas and a prosperous summer were crudely painted on some wood and then wrapped in tissue paper. Clearly someone was having a good laugh with this gift. Milliken did do some gardening, but nothing on the scale of needing so much fertilizer. In addition, he asked friends and members of his garden club if they had gifted him this stinky prize. As you can probably guess, none seemed to know anything about it. Well, it took a bit of detective work on Milliken's part, but he ultimately traced the gift back to an army buddy who had been recently released from the service. His friend did confirm that he had sent them the manure. In our next story, as you know, Santa's a very busy guy around Christmas time, but on December 18th of 1955, he decided to pay a visit to a children's holiday party that was being held by the Nabok Fire Department At the Goodwill Grange Hall. To make his grand entrance, a large chimney was constructed on the stage. Apparently, Santa had put on a few too many pounds over the past year, and he got stuck as he made his way down the chimney. All the audience could see was a chimney with Santa's boots dangling down. Someone blurted out, Call the fire department, which of course couldn't have been too hard to do since they were sponsoring the party. Two firemen came to Santa's rescue, and of course, the party continued. While Santa was handing out gifts to the approximately 100 children in attendance, a real alarm came in for the fire department. The firemen rushed off to put out a grass fire located on Buttonball Lane. And lastly, it was reported on December 12, 1965, that Tip Almond, a 250 pound or 113 kilogram Santa, was pulled over in Athens, Georgia by Officer Bob Weatherford to question him about a missing license plate on his car. I'm guessing that his sleigh was in the repair shop. Anyway, Santa explained to the officer that his plate had either been lost or stolen and that he had already reported it to the authorities. That's when a group of children in a passing car insisted that their father pull over to the side of the road to assist Santa the kids began screaming and arguing with the officer. So he realized it was a losing battle. He turned to Santa and said, get out of here before you get me in trouble. And Santa was free. So early in the podcast, I'd asked you what the real name for a Hanukkah menorah was. Did you know? Well, first you we should probably discuss what a menorah really is. By definition, a menorah has only seven candle holders on it. In addition, according to the Talmud, which is the book of Jewish law, a seven-candle menorah cannot be used outside the temple. So clearly we have a problem here, and that's because the candle holder used at Hanukkah has nine candle holders on it. You know, there's one for each of the eight days of Hanukkah, and then there's that one that sits higher than the rest. That's called the shamash, which is the servant or helper candle. And clearly, I mean, you see them everywhere. It is used outside the temple. Well, the name for a Hanukkah menorah is really called the, you ready for this, the Hanukiah. Hanukiah Makes sense, doesn't it? Now, as for lighting the Hanukiah, I remember my mom telling me that you always started with the candle on the right, and then each night you lit up a candle to the left until all eight days had gone by. I checked, and the reason for this is that by starting from the right side, your hand will never cross over or cast a shadow on the lights of the candles of those that have been lit. Which leads me to wonder, what happens if you're left-handed? And what happens if the Hanukkah is sitting in the middle of the room? Then I guess the right side is dependent on your point of view. Well, these are just questions I don't have the answer to. And due to habit, I'm probably still going to call the hanukkah a menorah. Well, that brings another episode of the Useless Information podcast to a close. I came across that story of the Grateful Mother over the summer while looking at a random month's worth of the Akron Beacon Journal archive material. Sometimes I just do that. I pick a month and I start reading through it to see what's there. Well, as soon as I read a few articles about her, I instantly knew it was going to be this year's Christmas story. I do hope that you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that my new book, The Flipside History, is currently available. If you enjoy listening to the stories that I include in this podcast, just like the one you just heard, I highly encourage you to get a copy of the book. Be sure to sign up for my Twitter feed. It's at UselessInfoCast, so you'll be among the first to know when a new episode is released. Again, the handle is at UselessInfoCast. Also, be sure to like the show on Facebook. You can just do a quick search for the Useless Information Podcast, and it should pop up. Make sure that you subscribe to the Useless Information Podcast, and you can do so through whichever podcast platform you use. It could be Amazon Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeart, Spotify, TuneIn, and there are others. Wishing everyone a happy holiday, whatever you may celebrate, and of course, a great new year. Take care, everyone. Bye.